Welcome to Freedom Junkie Radio, where we bring you new levels of freedom, whatever that looks like. And today I have Chris Hyde of Natureversity with us today. He is truly a survivalist, a survival teacher. He's taught survival for years. He is a consultant for the Discovery Channel on their uh, survival shows. He's also started a new uh, adventure club for kids that's online uh, because of the, of the stuff that's been going on. He pivoted to an online thing. So today we're going to be talking about how to survive. I'm going to ask you, Chris, how to survive in a um, in a SHTF situation when the when the power goes out. Yeah. But real quick, I just want to say thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. I miss this place a lot. I used to do kids programming out here um, for Betsy and her homeschool community and this land I have a very deep connection with and I've missed it. They've been on many adventures and I'm just so excited to be back. You can kind of see behind us. These are some of the creations of the kids and the forts that they made. So I'm really excited to be back. Yeah, Thank you for so, having me. Yeah, well, I'm so happy that you're here and um, this is going to be a lot of fun. This structure that you see behind us, if you're watching, the kids built about three years ago. And when I say the kids, my two children being homeschooled had the absolute, just incredible fortune to be in this area where Chris teaches a weekly survival class. I know you have more than that now because it turned into Natureversity. Yeah. And there's a lot of children that take these classes. But my kids can build a fire out of wet wood. Yeah. They can build a shelter. They know how to find food and what's edible, and they know what to do with acorns. I mean, they, they, they would know how to survive in the woods, and they loved every minute of it, yeah. so, and they love you. It was just an adventure for me and them simultaneously to just take kids who, you know, there's an old, um, I guess, what, what would you say? I guess to, an easy way to say it is children can identify more corporate logos than they can plants in their backyard. And to me, that is because we don't have eco-literacy anymore. And because we don't have that, we have lost touch with our land base. We've lost touch with community. We've, I mean, so my background was interesting. I just, I, I didn't like it either. I didn't want civilization. I didn't want to be any a part of that. So I, be, I began this journey of just learning survival skills. And once I was done, I was like, all right, sweet. I've got all this knowledge and wisdom and experience. I was going to go live by myself in the woods. And after many, many um weeks and then months of living out there, I had this realization of, wait a second, I am hoarding knowledge. And that is exactly antithetical to what we do as community builders, right? Like we're here to give knowledge, to give wisdom, to give experience back to people. And that is where freedom comes from. So I'm so excited to be back and I'm so excited to be presenting this with you all, how we uh, at Natureversity do what it is that we do and how we go about our everyday lives, whether it's just be, um, you know, maintaining your house in, in that, you know, awareness and that survival mindset to community, to your business, to whatever it is, their survival and understanding, um, you know, how to connect to things around you, it really is the foundation of being a human to me. What you just said reminded me of what I know about Tom Brown, yeah. the survivalist. Oh, yeah. He wanted nothing to do with uh, society. Right. And he went into the woods for a year with nothing but a knife. That's right. And he was so in tune with his spirit and nature, and he got a really strong message mm -hmm. that he had to teach. Yeah. 
His story is a beautiful one. I, if I remember correctly, I'm sure somebody out there will correct this, but I think what happened was he, you know, studied under the tutelage of a Native American Apache scout grandfather. and grandfather. Oh gosh, I love his story. He was one of my apprentice or one of my teachers and mentors. Also, Tom Brown was in Jersey, California, Florida, a few other places, and I think he came back to Jersey and there was a lost gr little girl in the woods and nobody could find her. And Tom just walked up and was like uh give me a few hours and i think he came out with her and and i think the media were there recording about this lost little girl that he had found and wanted to know what are you going to do now and i don't think that he really knew at that moment but i think he started getting letters in the mail saying we want to learn from you we want to learn from you he's a tracker he's a yes, master tracker. He's, he's a master tracker and i think that's how the tom brown tracker school got started was because you know people wanted this information which is what we're here to do. Well, some of to... the best books, if you aren't aware, you should read Tom Brown. Uh, he wrote The Tracker. Yeah, The Search, The, the Journey, Quest, The Quest. Yeah, The Vision, Grandfather. Um, his new one, I think, is called Healing the Earth. Uh, um, beautiful book. And it kind of goes through the sacred order of survival. And actually, it's funny that we were talking about this because I just bought it yesterday. At, that um, is crazy. Uh, the whole, whole Earth Provisions store. So... Yeah. Okay, so I want to get to what you're doing and 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 the work you're doing with children right now and all. But first, yeah, I want to spend some time. I want you to teach us basic survival, like survival 101. If so, in Texas, a couple of months ago, we were all in survival mode, and luckily the power was just out for a week yeah. or so. Mm -hmm. If the power went out, if there were an EMP and the power went out and we're looking at two years. Oh, cow. Right. Yeah, that's a long and time. And so we've got city dwellers. We've got, so, and what do people need to know? This is just a question. I can ask you other questions and this is a big topic. What are the basics that people need to know to survive? What do they need to have on hand? Basic survival. You can't teach us survival in one podcast. Sure. That would be an entire, an entire That'd podcast be an season. Class. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Nine months, um, 12 months what, long. You know, for somebody that is, doesn't know anything about surviving in a situation where the power goes out, what are the things, and, and I'm, you know, they're eventually going to have to leave their home, sure. right? So what is it they're going to need and yeah. what do they need to know? Well, for me, um, Again, just you know, touching back to Tom Brown real quick, I think there is a sacred order of survival that Tom taught me, and his sacred order was shelter, water, fire, food, right? So the first thing that I would say is understanding thermoregulation for your body. You know, so many of us, especially those of us who've gone to survival schools, you know, they get taught, well, this is the shelter to build. And I, I quit teaching that stuff a long time ago because I realized shelter could be what we're sitting under right here, because the questions are real simple. How is my body losing or gaining heat, right? And so if I'm losing heat via convection, well, a wall blocking the wind is a form of shelter. You know, if I'm losing heat via the ground because the earth has more mass than I do, then uh, conduction, I need to stop that, that contact. And so a bl uh, uh, insulating foam board beneath me could be a form of shelter. So really the question is, how am I losing heat or gaining heat and then stop that? So I always tell people simple solutions to simple problems. I would understand and learn how your body 
loses and gains heat first. So whether it's convection, conduction, radiation, perspiration, evaporation, all those things, you want to know how your body functions and you also want to know your body pretty well. Like, do you, can you go a long time without water, right? More than the average person or is that something that you should slowly train your body to do? Um, what, are, what are you like when, I, I mean, I have friends who just, they cannot handle heat. And they would be like, I would die if I didn't have AC or air conditioning and things like that. Um, so that would be the first thing. Uh, the second thing would be water. You know, in Texas, clearly you've got to have water. It is not a joke. I mean, for me, I, you know, a gallon to two gallons a day minimum when I'm outside doing survival type stuff. Um, and for every individual in your family. So you got a family of four, you're going to need four to potentially eight gallons per, per you know, per day. Um, and after that, you kind of get into that fire <clears throat> aspect and fire really is like the, you know, it brings the things together. So we're just jumping back to shelter really quick. You know, fire can keep you warm, uh, jumping over to water, you know, fire can purify water, um, getting into, um, tool manufacturing, you can use fire to make tools and, and do all kinds of things there. And then finally food, right? We have to have an ability to cook. So fire is a very, very important aspect of survival. Signaling for rescue, obviously, if you're in an EMP world, who are you signaling to? That might not necessarily, but maybe, right? Maybe you're signaling to your tribe down the, the way and we'll get back, to get back back into smoke signals. That'd be really fun. Um, and then finally food is really, this is where I think <clears throat> a lot of people find themselves in the world of survival inadvertently because what they begin doing is they want to know how do I supplement my food. I don't want to be beholden to the grocery stores. I don't want to be, you know, um, you know, eating the typical sad American diet, right? We want new ideas. And so people go outside and suddenly they're like, what is this tree? What is this plant? What is, and then they begin realizing, well, wait a second, I saw this bird sitting on that tree. Well, what's that bird? And now they're sucked down into the, the world of ornithology and, and birds. And so I, I just want to say, preface this whole uh, podcast with don't live in fear, right? We're about freedom here. And so don't live in fear. And fear is, oh no, I need to learn these skills because I'm scared. Like, no, like learn these skills because you're a human, because you're connected to the earth. And so I love that people come up to me all the time and they're like, I just want to know the trees in my backyard. I just want to know the plants in my garden. I want to know more about what is around me, the tracks and the animals. And so I would say start there and through that, like just an example, if, if I gave you a tomato, right, you could figure out a lot of different ways to use a tomato because you've used it for so long. So find a plant in your backyard or a tree in your backyard and start using it in your weekly, daily, monthly, yearly life. And then when it does, you know, hit the fan, you will have such a connection with that entity that it will be no problem. Because it, the, the reality is, Betsy, is that if you begin thinking for just a moment here that like, I'm gonna go out and survive off this landscape, like that is gonna be a very daunting task. It's gonna be so over the top, overwhelming, that it might deter you but again, uh, here's, here's a way to summarize it all beautifully. The time on how to read the book on how to swim is not when the boat is sinking. So, so many of these people have this mindset of like, oh, well, I'll learn that when the time comes. Like, no, you won't. It'll be too late by then. So start now by going outside, learning the plants, learning the trees, the tracks, the birds, how all these things affect your life, and then playing. So you see here behind me this fort, you know, kids that I work with, 
I'm not saying, hey, you know, you need to know how to build this fort because it's going to save your life. I say to them, hey, it's just cool to build stuff. It's cool to be inventive and creative because that's what we as humans do. These two opposable thumbs that we have, they can create and they can destroy, but I like teaching kids how to create with them. So I would say um, it's hard for me to give you all of the ins and outs and give you a blueprint formula on what exactly to do if that were to really, an EMP were to really hit America. Because, I mean, I, I personally, I, I don't even know that I could begin to dive into that world because my world is how do I get you more connected to nature? Right. Okay. So I'm realizing that the question I asked really has more to do with prepping than surviving. Yeah. If you're not prepared for that, right. you're kind of screwed because you can't, you, so your, your thing is being out in nature <clears throat> and you would recommend to people go get out in nature. Just get outside. Yeah. yeah. And be familiar with your surroundings. I mean, there's, you know, we're just like, we'll talk about a a subject in survival navigation you know if i were to just throw you in your house and i'd say bring me to the bathroom like it'd be real easy for you to do that but so many of us are dependent on these little gps things today like i always like to say you're only connected to somebody and something as far as you can walk to them you know so if you've got somebody you know your your, your facebook messaging like you're not really connected that's the illusion of connection because how many days months is it going to take you to walk to your family wherever they're at that's how connected you are to me um it's a community yeah to community exactly right so i don't know how um really to give you that entire you know in-depth look but i will tell you that there are communities out there and that is where i would start is finding one that is local and we don't, we don't do this thing called survival alone. If you do, you're going to be very, I mean, well, I mean, we're all here to create a, a community, but if you try to do the whole survival thing alone, you're going to realize how lonely you are, psychologically affecting that's going to be to you. I mean, I tried it and I did not like it, but maybe that's just because I'm an extroverted person, right? Yeah. So. Some people could be a hermit. I think so. There are a few out there stories that I've read and videos and documentaries that I've watched where people do do that. But my goal for Natureversity and all of the things that I do is to create community because these skills, obviously, you know, shelter, water, fire, food, all these things, they have set that foundation for a community to be built, you know, um, men, women working together to create meals, um, working to create fire, you know, culture, dance, songs, ritual, rites of passage for our children. You know, it all stemmed from nature. You know, so if we don't have a relationship with that, I don't know what we're doing. Well, we've gotten so far. Oh, we're so digital. It. Yeah, it's it's sad to Even see. Even nature lovers like me. I mean, you work in nature daily. Yeah. I have to make myself go get out. It it absolutely feeds me. It's one of the things that brings me my peace. Yeah. And uh, whether it's the mountains or the ocean or just out in you know central Texas, out on right. the land. Um, but I have to make myself go do it, you know, pull myself out of the house. Oh, and and I can like, only imagine if you live, you know, downtown or something. Oh, I don't know how, you have how to make they do it. Such an effort. Yeah. I live, you know, right on the edge of Austin, you know, and I, I, the green belt's on the, on my, in my backyard, the Ladder Branch green belt. And I'm just so thankful for that because every day, you know, when I see the hawks swoop in, I see the owls leaving or, you know, all these little, I, I see possums come up to my back door sometimes. And I'm just so thankful for those moments. So yeah, you're absolutely right. I don't, I don't know how people do it, but people do it. And um, I think that's why they have those 
let's go to national parks for 10 days, you know, and then they come right back to the grind. Right. And, well, know. you know, I was thinking of John Muir the other day because yeah. I looked at a flower or something and I was not near any technology, mm -hmm. you know, and I thought, wow, it was a particularly beautiful flower that I don't know. And um, I thought, you know, 150 years ago, this would have been like the highlight of my day. It would have been so cool. I would have wanted to know everything about that flower. And now most of the time I would just walk past it and not even notice it and go right to my, you know, oh, who texted me? Sure. So I, this getting back to nature is, it's some, it's a thing that all of us as humans can benefit from, but most of us will probably never do. Yeah. And, and I think that's why we all, like, <clears throat> for those people who want to have a New Year's resolution of getting healthier, right? What do they do? They go to a gym, they might hire a personal, you know, coach. And that coach is just there to kind of give them that push every single day. For me, that's, that's how I feel about the work that I do with people. So when the kids come, you know, yeah, we're playing in nature, we're doing everything, but I'm pushing them every day to, to find where their edge is at and then to push them a little bit past that edge. I want to bring them into a place where they they know this is possible and maybe this is on their radar possibility. And then there's like that far out place of like, whoa, we didn't even know you could do that. For instance, like boiling um, water with rocks. I showed the kids how to do that the other day and they were just blown away like, what? How do you like, boil water with rocks? So basically, um, first of all, don't get any rocks that are out of the river because those river rocks are going to hold a little bit of moisture in there. You introduce a lot of heat, that moisture is going to expand and turn into a gas. It's going to throw that rock everywhere and it's going to pop basically you're making a little micro bomb if you will so be careful what rocks you're using but you want to take a rock place it in the fire for a prolonged period of time depending on how hot your fire is and how long it's been in there you know get a pair of tongs or something like that you can make tongs out of trees very easily grab the rock out of there and just simply I, I do two changes of water so there's one change of water and then there's the actual water that I'd like to be boiling so I just dunk it in real quick to clean all the ash off and then I just drop it into that bucket or vessel or whatever it may be and the you know heat transfers out of the rock and into the water do it again and again and again and pretty soon you've got a rolling boil of water just using nothing but rocks but you don't even have to do the rock method I mean look at us we're in the central Texas hill country Think about the, um, what, what is in Philip's hand right now? Is it from a prickly pear ca cactus? I don't know what kind of cactus it is, but it's a giant But you know it's spider. a cactus. Uh -huh. There you go, that's all I wanted to know. So those things are everywhere and we readily run into them. Those big pads, you can move one of those things off, cut the top, stick a stick down in there, and you basically make like, think about it, it's like this, you bake a hot pocket, fill it with water, put it in the coals, you've just got a container to boil water in. So, so many of the people out there in the world of survival think, oh, I've got to have a metal pot or a metal this or, you know, a, a, a whatever it may be. But nature can provide. You can burn out wood stumps uh, using coal burning methods. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how many times I've been like, oh, well, what do we boil water in? I'm like, well, grab that prickly pear cactus right over there. Let's boil some water up. Now, I'm not going to lie. That water is going to be a little bit gelatinous and a little slimy. Um, <laughs> but that's just because of the mucilaginous properties that are within the cactus. It's, it's probably like, really good for you. It, it is, I bet. You know, it's going to like lubricate the insides and get things moving, right? So it's like a little bit of medicine and hydration at the same time. 
Um, yeah, so you can boil water with rocks. I mean, you can boil water in prickly pear pads. Um, obviously, rain collection is, is a wonderful method. Just simply dig a hole if you've got any type of, you know, liner, meaning like a tarp or a piece of plastic or anything. I mean, even used the back of my jacket one time, one of my Patagonia jackets to collect rainwater in and just straight out of that little jacket. And um, yeah, so you just, let me just say this when it comes to this survival stuff become an animal again. Animals survive wonderfully. It doesn't matter where I drop a coyote in America, it's going to find a way to survive. Possums, the same thing. Raccoons, the same thing. Not all animals are going to survive everywhere. Um, possums don't do too well up in the far north because the frostbite, their, their little fingers and toes are very much like ours. And if I were to walk around in ice cold snow all day, I might potentially get frostbite and they do too. So, but what I'm saying is they have that animalistic instinct that we all have too, we just have to tap into it. We have to find a way to say, I can persevere, I can overcome, I can adapt, I am going to survive. And it's so, so I, before we get into the hardcore skills, um, they call it the hard candy in some areas, I like to say we gotta do the head candy first. And the head candy is all psychological. You've gotta have that ability to say, I'm going to survive this. And you'd be real surprised how many people, what, what brings out that desire to survive? I'm, I'm, I'm uh, interviewed a woman one time or met a woman who basically said, you know, she did not want her corpse to turn up, um, you know, and people to see her underwear. And that's why she was like, I'm not going to die today. I'm not going to die in this situation. And I just thought, wow, like that was it for you, huh? And then another woman said, I didn't want my cats to starve at home. They were all alone. I had to get out of this situation because I knew my cats were going to starve and die. And I could not let myself be that okay. So I got out of my situation that I was in in survival. So many things are going to push us. It could be your children. It could be whatever it may be. But you've got to first psychologically well, do and it. Now, I want to say, I think there's some people who will never psychologically get there. I have a friend who has said, because we know we've tried to think about future scenarios where we might need to survive. Yeah. And she said, just give me a rope. I'll hang the kids first and then myself. <gasps> I don't want to survive. Wow. You know this woman. Ha. Uh, I don't want to have to try to survive in that world. I mean, I, uh, there's a part of me that empathizes with that only in the realm of like nuclear disaster. Like if we are literally nuclear, you know, bomb goes off and everything's radiated, water, food, plants, every... I, it might that might sound a little bit appetizing at that point what, what is the you know the challenges that you're going to face but i probably would still try yeah just just to say i tried i mean that's the hard part for me is with everything going on in the world today like i don't want my children to see me at the end of my days and say you know dad did you try and i say no you know, I yeah. want to be able to tell them I fought, I worked hard for freedom and to re retain what it is that makes us, you know, a unique and independent landscape here. Um, and all the, the beautiful things that we have as a country, like I want that stuff to continue. Yeah. So I'm going to work to fight for that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah. Um, I really think survival is just so important for us to practice like anything else. I tell the kids all the time, you know, the reason that you're good at playing guitar or riding a bike or piano or whatever it is you do is because you do it in little increments a day. So I'll say this to people who want to start, you know, um, get outside and start identifying just one or two plants in your backyard, one or two trees, start there. Then pick up a knife. Just start carving, seeing what that's like. Grab a saw, see what that's like. Just play and become a child again. What's that old saying? Betsy, I'm sure you know it. They say you don't get 
they you 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 what is it's about getting old you don't get old you know because or you don't stop playing because you got old you got old because you stopped playing i think that's the saying i could be totally butchering that that's a great saying. but i want people no matter what your age is out there i want you to get outside and just let your animalistic instincts and your childlike passions take over even if you're getting muddy and dirty and tired and and you don't want to get your clothes all wet just you have washing machines you can replace those clothes but you'll remember all of those experiences and other things i always tell the kids all the time at my school i'm saying you will never remember your favorite day on an ipad you're never going to remember that day but you're going to remember this fort that you built you're going to remember the moment where you rubbed two sticks together and made a fire you're going to remember the first time you got to use a hatchet and split wood and you know used that hatchet to then make something more it's it's beyond us so i would love for people to just start there because that's what everybody always asks where do i start this is such a huge world just go out in your backyard start playing and exploring and just go a little bit further you know each time i'm sure as you and i grew up in the generation on our bikes and we'd go a little bit further when we get a little bit comfortable we go a little further get a little bit more comfortable go a little further that's what i would recommend to everybody do is to start there just have fun with being who you are as an animal we forget that all the time we think we're humans and we're above it but we're still animals so we still can adapt <laughs> what is the most crazy environment you ever survived in um, <clears throat> probably the Northwest, you know, everything up there is just so wet. And when I say Northwest, I mean, Oregon, Washington state, places like that, everything up there is just so damp. Everything up there, it can, you know, it can, everything's just wet. And it's kind of a little bit depressing too, because it, because of that wetness, because of it's dark and, you know, dreary and, you know, the snow and, and just all of it. Um, but again, I, I wouldn't say that it's, something that is impossible to change you know i know that there are so many native american tribes who survived wonderfully up there you know the chinook indians had beautiful log cabins um, that they would use out of those big old cedars and amazing intricate uh, tools of fishing and hunting and i mean to me like fishing technology the Northwest Indians, you know, they brought it to the height of its technology for, for me for that time period back then. Um, there's a wonderful book by Hillary Stewart. Uh, it's just called Indian Fishing. And I would definitely recommend checking that book out and looking at some of the technology that went on up there. But like fishing was big up there. Um, you know, I never got to go any do any deer hunts up there or anything like that. But I would say the, for me, the, nor the Northwest, um, second would maybe be the deserts just because of the water aspect, you know, Southwest Arizona, New Mexico, you know, you're not finding too many areas where there's a lot of water. So it's, it's about hyper water conservation, staying in the shade, moving at night, things you're, like that. You're making me think of, I used to watch some survival shows and I watched uh, dual survival yeah. and the one character didn't wear shoes and yeah, he Cody. was from Arizona. Cody. <laughs> yeah, do you recommend that? I, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's his thing. I, I still wear shoes. Um, <laughs> I like being barefoot. There's something about being barefoot that really does. I, I, I think he's right when he says, says it really does connect you to the earth in a whole new way. I think you, you step lighter right? You, you walk a little slower and because you step lighter, you walk a little slower, it allows for you to see more, allows you to connect more. 
But I mean, we're in rattlesnake country and cottonmouth country, and we're in you know. And we've uh, got tender feet. We we didn't we weren't doing it all our lives. Yeah, but that but how do you get tough feet like Cody does? It's just to go. I don't know. I would never walk in the snow barefoot. Probably. Right. It, there's just some things that just don't make sense that was to me. Part of his and I th I think that's his part of yeah. his shtick. But I mean, more power to him. Um, yeah, I, I love Dual Survivor. That was one of the TV shows that I got to work on uh, as a consultant for Discovery Channel a long time ago. But uh, yeah, I don't know how that would fare with me. I think protection that makes logical sense is, you know, proper. You know, so carrying a knife, carrying a wool blanket, carrying a metal water bottle, making life a little bit easier do, for yourself. Do you know when I realized you were the real deal was when the kids came back and told me about a throwing stick. And they're like, well, we were walking through the woods somewhere, going camping, yeah. and they made sure to pick up a throwing stick. And I wish I could <laughs> right find away. the perfect one. Yeah, I'm gonna I'll grab this one right here. Something about like this, maybe a little bigger, maybe a little longer. Yeah. And it, they said, you wanna find something, and if, because if you're in a survival situation, and this was brand new to me, I'm like, do go on. Um, the first thing you do is find a throwing stick because you're going to be walking looking for to make your shelter. Yeah. You're going to be walking looking for water. Yeah. And if you happen to see a rabbit That's or right. a snake or something, you've got a weapon. You've yeah. got something. You might be able to get that meal. Or if a bear comes after you, yeah. you might be, you know, and I was like, I've watched 50 survival shows and none of them were ever walking around <laughs> with a stick in their hand. Yeah. I'm like, they did. I mean, that sounds like really good information why don't why don't why didn't cody have a stick in his hand i think they do sometimes but not all the time i definitely would say that throwing sticks are exactly just that they are opportunistic hunting nobody i mean maybe somebody out there would but i mean nobody would go out with just this stick in this intention to kill an animal right right but you know, you would just like snare a trap or, or yeah, um, shoot. you know, bows, right? All those different tools, uh, slingshots, even. But a throwing stick is, I mean, it's it's a great tool. I mean, you could baton with a knife. You know, you can get things out of trees that like you might need up there. Um, there's so many reasons to have a throwing stick readily available. And not only do I carry one in my hand when I'm walking around, I'll tuck a second one in my belt, you know, back there, because what if I throw and I miss? Like, what am I gonna run over to the rabbit? Hey, stay right there. Let me grab my throwing <laughs> stick and walk back and do this well, again. It seems like a rock would also do the job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There, was, there was that joke when I was at Tom Brown survival school uh remember his son t3 said um something really funny he was like moment you're in a survival situation and you know you're in a survival situation you better pick up that stick he goes and if you can't find a stick he goes you pick up a rock and if you can't find a rock well you're dead already and i just thought that was so <laughs> funny so it's always reminded me of just how important having some type of tool you know what's interesting is we are one of the only creatures on planet Earth that can project an object away from us and enact change somewhere else. You know, apes, primates, humans, and I think another creature in the depths of the ocean known as a pistol shrimp. It, it, it snaps its little claws and shoots an air bubble and it stuns fish. But to project something away from yourself and enact change in another location is, is just the hallmark of you know, kind of being human in a way, or, you know, being animal, I should say. Um, so yeah, definitely pick up a throwing stick, a rock, something. A lot of people ask questions like, well, isn't that, you know, 
expending energy, you know, carrying those rocks around. Well, like, yeah, if you're like hurling boulders at things, I'm sure, but just like something small, um, baseball players clearly are going to have the advantage in this situation. So practice your throwing skills. And I always um, was told again, too, is, you know, having that throwing stick, even if you suck at throwing, you'll eventually hit something you know, and really uh, get into intuitive throwing or intuitive archery, as they like to say, which is basically not doing the whole like, okay, let me close one eye and look at this. And now here we go. Like, no, just, just hurl something. Cause how many of you, how many times have you in your life picked something up and just try to throw it and just on the first thing, boom. And you're like, well, how did that happen? Where did that come from? That was that intuitive, instinctual throwing ability that is in all of us, but we have to tap into it more and more and more in order to really get it to, you know, build up in as a skill so yeah well now you do need a knife tom brown went into the woods for a year with nothing but a knife yeah you really do and i know you recommend a, a fixed blade yeah the mora knife or whatever mm -hmm. do you want yeah so i always have a knife on me um it really the reason i would say at least one tool is because a knife can give you access to all the other tools that you're going to potentially make you know, so if you're real proficient with this thing, this compounded with your throwing stick can potentially chop wood like a hatchet wood or split wood like a, an axe wood or, you know, you could basically beaver chew branches if you're familiar with that concept. Um, yeah, a knife gives you access to a lot of other tools and really just makes life easier. But we're lucky, to be honest, we're in Central Texas and in Central Texas, we've got a lot of limestone. And because we have a lot of limestone, by extension, we have chert or as people like to call it flint and with that you know when you break off a, a blade of flint that can act as a knife but it just does more scraping than it does like slicing like a knife is really good at slicing and a stone tool is real good at scraping but you can still get by i mean i've made fires with just stone tools i've made forts with just stone tools bows with just stone tools it's just going to take you a lot longer it's going to take a lot more energy out of you so really it's a, it's about that energy conservation and i would definitely say carry one with you everywhere you go it's just, it should be like your cell phone really in yeah my opinion. now yours looks kind of fancy it looks like it's got it's i see a lighter and... yeah so this is a mora eldris it's like a little mini oh my goodness um, it's teeny weeny it's real teeny but i mean it's it's still you could almost take that in an airport <laughs> the job you could you might be able to you might be able to slip it by them um i've got a lighter this is a little i call it a venturi blower a venturi blower is basically just like i'll, I'll pop it out here so you can see it it basically extends and now you can and just like the venturi effect in physics it's got a large diameter up here and a real small diameter here basically it concentrates the breath and it makes a fire uh ma making a fire a lot easier oh, for you okay. that's what this is for um, what about a flashlight or, or go ahead. I, I mean i don't know Fla flashlights yeah I, I definitely think you you know if you've got one great but I like my night vision at night. Um, this is another little fire starting tool, a ferroseum rod or a ferro rod as a lot, of, a lot of people call it. This will come with your Mora Eldris when you purchase it. Um, I'll well, link to all this stuff. If you, any books we've talked yeah. about, Tom Brown, I'll link to the that yep. you can show the me. The Mora Eldris knife. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know, flashlights, kinda. I guess uh, eventually maybe, uh, your batteries are going to run out. Exactly. So. Yeah. I, I like the night vision much more than I like de being dependent on a flashlight. Um, you got to think about a flashlight. It's like your vision is going to go wherever the light goes. Right. But if you just turn that thing off, like you've got this whole 
you know, wide awareness of kind of what we, we call at the school owl eyes with the kids, you know, turn your owl eyes on because, you know, their eyes, I don't know if you know, but they're locked in their heads. They can't move them like this. So they have to, that's why their neck swivels uh -huh. on 270 degree rotations. That's where Paige got that. When he was five, he was saying, I've got owl eyes. That's right. I didn't know where <laughs> he got Press's <laughs> teachings, right? <laughs> um, yeah, owl eyes, uh, fox feet, that would be the, the Cody Lundeen thing, right? Taking your shoes off and getting connected to the earth. You know, it causes you to move a little bit slower. It takes a little bit less strides. Um, and uh, we say raccoon hands. If you've ever seen raccoons, they love to get their hands on things. Uh, deer ears, real good. Uh, bear nose, basically just in heightening your senses. Become like the animals. Become like the animals all the time. That's what I say to the kids all the time. Are, are you, are you, uh, I, one of the things that Tom said to us as a, a long time ago that made me always laugh was he would say to his son, T3, or Tom Brown Jr. the third, right? Because it's Tom Brown Jr. and then his son. He would say, um, you know, are you living like grandfather right now? Are you living like a little city boy? And it would just traumatize T3, like, oh no, like anything but the city boy. So uh, yeah, we don't say that to our kids, but we say, you know, like, are you, are you living like a human? Or are you living like your animal? You know, you're letting that animal instinct come out. And they, they remember that a lot. So they'll want to take their shoes off. They'll want to touch things. They'll want to close their eyes more and just feel. Um, they'll want to smell things, you know, up close and personal now. They'll want to, um, you know, close off their, their eyesight and, and listen more. So there's no way to, well, things atrophy when you don't use them. And so I hear all the time, I just had an eye exam the other day done and the lady was like, read this line. And I was like, well, I'll read that very bottom line for you. How about that? She's like, you have 2010 vision. I'm a 35 year old man with 2010 vision. And I think it's because I'm always outside. I don't look at a computer screen, right? All the time. Um, so, and same thing with my nose, like, I mean, I, I smell things and people are like, how do you smell that? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just, I think it's because I'm outside all the time, but I, I really don't know. But I think we have to start taking steps towards improving those senses because if it really does come to where it hits the fan, we need those senses, you know, more so I wouldn't say not just to protect ourselves, but animals they're way better than us oh, way yeah. better i mean go try We're people soft. are always looking at deer like oh those are just little forest ponies with sticks on their heads i'm like yeah go fight one of those things and when you get totally mauled you'll realize <laughs> that you ain't got nothing on that deer well first of all you're not even going to get near it because it's going to hear you or smell you coming from a long ways mm -hmm. away so really getting those senses yeah. heightened okay so that's if you want to survive if the shtf you yep. better have been Going out in the woods and playing in the woods. I, I would say, you know, yeah, you can't, you can't just go from city dweller to survivalist. It doesn't, it, that's not how it works. Yeah. I think with like anything in life, it takes a, a passion, right? Like being genuine, passion, genuineness, and then luck would be that third one. But a lot of us, you know, we can get passion in our bodies. You know, we can be genuine in what our, what we're doing and be good at it. But then that little bit of luck gets factored in and now you're just exploding. You know, that's what's going to happen. With all luck us. comes to people who work hard. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And then they don't call it luck, right? Right. They, they call it determination and perseverance. And, uh, yeah, because people ask me all the time, like, how did you get that job? You're so lucky. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I was, you know, raised by, you know, grandparents kicking me out of the house and not letting me inside unless I wanted to eat or sleep. You know, that's, it was just my upbringing. So it has nothing to do with luck. 
it has everything to do with I felt disconnected as a child growing up from the woods and or well from high school really because once I got into middle school and high school like I realized like all the kids thought I was kind of this weird kid and then I was like oh I probably should like you know go along to get along but then as soon as high school was over I was depressed I was lonely I was sad about everything in the world and I try I guess I had this like void in my life and I tried to fill that void with like money and cars and drugs and women and all these things and all of that stuff is finite but nature is infinite and as soon as I got back out to the woods as soon as I started going to state parks national parks and really connecting with animals and tracking animals and learning about plants and trees and building fires like I felt like I had this foundation of confidence that I could stand on and that was why I started Natureversity. Because I thought to myself, how many other kids are going through what I went through? Okay, so had you, you had been connected to nature as a kid and then yeah. you, you kind of yeah. pushed it aside? Yeah. Okay. Yep, absolutely. Okay, I remember so. you saying, watch the animals too. Mm -hmm. If you want to know if um, a berry or a type of tree or whatever is edible, Watch and see what the birds are going. Watch, watch, and uh, you yeah. know those kind of things. Don't always depend on that because certain birds can eat um, poison ivy seeds and, oh. and, and berries. Yeah, and, and deer will sometimes munch on poison ivy leaves. I think one of the well, that only... wouldn't kill you. No, but you would not be in a situation <laughs> where you'd want to go on much longer because you'd be so. How do I scratch the internal part of me, right? How do we go about doing that? I think the one thing that I remember being told was black bears like pretty much whatever they're consuming, like we can okay. consume. But I don't necessarily, I wouldn't be like, bet the farm on that. Well, and how are you gonna follow a black bear around much? I, uh, as long as you're not disturbing a mama with her babies, you, you can follow. Yeah, them. you're right, Tom Brown could for sure. Yeah, there's a program, um, and if y'all really get into this stuff with the wildlife tracking, I would highly recommend, it's where most of my evaluation and training came from, is from an organization known as Cyber Tracker International. So you started, wanting to share this information. How long have you been teaching? I've been teaching 11 years now. So since uh, 2010 is when I started. And it was just like an accident. I mean, really it was, um, you know, Michelle Kindig who called me and said, hey, I've got a group of homeschoolers. I want you to come out and do this thing. We've, we've heard, I think she tried to get a hold of somebody and that somebody recommended me. Okay, so you had been doing survival stuff for how long before you started teaching it? Maybe just a few years. Yeah, like, but when I say, I was just doing it like traveling to this school, going over to that school, you know, doing this little hike, you know, going out into the back country with this group of friends. And really I just developed like a very, you know, basic foundation for you know learning to use a knife a saw um all those different things and then when yeah i came back to austin it you know like all of us in our in our lives who are really um are you familiar with ikigai you know what no. that is so ikigai is like a the zen purpose for being i believe it's like part of japanese culture and it's basically a venn diagram of four circles that come together it's that which you are good at that which you are passionate about that which would the world needs and that which you can be paid for and it's all four of those things come together in that little icky guy moment and i think once you begin going down that road, the universe just starts throwing you things. They're just like, yo, you better see this opportunity or it's flying by. And I think that was Michelle for me was, oh, this is that moment, this is that opportunity. 
I got to jump on this opportunity with homeschoolers. And your quick. whole life went in a direction. Oh my gosh, did it ever. If you would have told me, so here's another funny thing. Back in middle school, um, you know, we took these like, I don't know, aptitude tests or something. And I got placed after taking the test with like all the women. And they were like, you know, these are the teachers and future leaders of the world and all these things. And I was just like, what? Like, I want to be with the, like, the green group over there with either the money makers or the cool jocks with the red or, but I was like the blue. And um, I didn't understand that. A teacher and leader. Yeah, but I didn't, I didn't. And that's exactly what you are. I didn't know that. <laughs> I, if you'd have told me again, like, like years ago, like, oh, you're going to be working with kids. You're going to own a school for kids. I would have just laughed you right off the face of the planet and been like, no, I hate children. Are you kidding me? Get them away from me. I'll cattle prod them if they get near me. But now. Now I love them. You and act just like them. You get you get oh, right yeah. in with them, and you're just what they love you. Yeah. The kids love you I, because you allow them to to get in touch with that part of ourselves right. that all of us want to get in touch with. I think that's exactly what we as adults need to give children every single day is just the opportunity for them to be themselves to be wild to be creative and to not stifle anything that they're attempting to do you know i think um i've heard stories and i don't know how valid this story is but you know the plains native americans they utilized teepees and that's what they were doing is they would follow the herds of buffalo around right or bison around and, and they would build these teepees well according to legend it was a group of children who were stacking sticks together and then placing cottonwood leaves in this upward manner and one of the elders of the tribe looked at that and was like, that's what we're going to do. We're going to get hides. We're going to get big poles and look at how they collapse and they're easily carried. They're not that heavy. Like we're going to do that. So, you know, sometimes I think with school, especially school, we have this, this idea that this is the way that things need to be done. And this is what we teach children. And then they go live their whole lives as that is the way you do things. Whereas I don't do that at Natureversity. I just say to them, this is the problem we have. How do we figure this out? And a dozen children begin putting their brains together and going, well, here's an idea, here's an idea, here's an idea, here's an idea. Because I think when you tell a child, this is how you do it, that's it. They're stuck. They're stuck with this is how you do it. It's always going to be done like that. I'm and so I, stuck. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like that. Well, I am too. We all are. We yes. all are. There's so many things I think this is how you do it. And yeah, and there could be a better oh, way. There, yes, there someone else's be. way is usually better. <laughs> right. I mean, we used to like blast children like DDT, and somebody yeah. came along and was like, I don't think that's right. Yeah. And we were like, oh, yeah, it's probably not right. Right. So, yeah, you've got to get out of that orthodox, you know, consensus uh, reality thinking of like, this is how we do things. And it's so freeing and feels so good. It's, it feels so good to be liberated, in, in, especially for children, because they now have the autonomy to, you know, go to the next stage of their life to say, well, I wasn't, you know, stifled in this moment. I won't be stifled in this moment. And, and that's what, you know, I think public education, unfortunately, is doing to our children. I mean, it wasn't public education invented because we wanted to make factory workers. I'm pretty sure that's, Probably, I think I that's, John Taylor Gatto talks a lot about that in his books. Uh, Dumbing Us Down is the, the book that I read where, I realize. Or is it dumbing down America or is it dumbing us down? I think it's dumbing us down. Okay, I'll, I'll look that one up. It was, that book changed my life. I realized, whoa, like I'm never going to tell a child like this is how you do something. I'm just going to show them. Like Tom, Tom, Tom Brown, that's what grandfather did to Tom. You know, he would never say this is how you do it. He would just 
point in a direction or ask a question. Uh, I'm and, a violin teacher and I taught them exactly how to do it. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, let's say, let's say there's surgery in the world, right? Like that might be one of those moments you, where... You do, then you can be free with it once you get yeah, those, those basics. It's like, look, down. if you don't cut this out exactly right, there's something might else happen. But don't be but, creative right now. Right. Yeah. That, exactly. I think there are, there's mo like fire instance, fire making for instance, I think there's definitely like you gotta do it X, Y, and Z to make it real proper, or else it's just gonna keep going out. So, right, right. But again, I have been the other day. I'll give you an example. I was teaching the kids how to make um, char cloth, and char cloth is something that's very simple to use. But in order to make it, you basically take cotton, you take a tin can, you open the tin. The, the tin can has to have a lid. You pop a little hole in the lid so basically oxygen can escape. You put the little cut pieces of t-shirt down in there and then you cap it. And one of the kids said to me like, well, what if I don't have a t-shirt that I can cut up to make this char cloth? And I was like, I don't know. And another kid was like, what if we use this juniper bark? And I, I just, my brain just was like, what? I never thought you of that. You make char bark. Char bark, right, or char, yeah. And so that's what we did. We took the can. So what do you use it for? What do you use char cloth So for? this right here, this ferroseum rod, just throws sparks, right? And if you throw spark at a char cloth, it, it basically turns into like a little piece of ember. And you can take that ember and place it into a tinder bundle, uh, which is basically just crushed up, you know, dried. Uh, juniper bark works great around here, but you can use flowers and different parts of leaves and things like that. But basically to get the fire ignited, you know, I think that's why the app is called Tinder, <laughs> right? And, and so um, it sparks, it, it gets the fire going, but we did exactly what this little girl recommended and I'll be damned if it didn't work out just the way the char cloth worked. I had ne and I don't think a lot of the survival community knows that. I've said that on a few forums and a few Facebook posts, and people have now gone out and tried it, and they're like, whoa, we never yeah. knew you could use bark but to. But uh, necessity is the mother of invention. Always. Always will be. So, yeah, going back to the very first thing, that should be the first question you ask. If you're really wanting to get prepared and you're really wanting to make sure that you have all that you need, right, ask yourself what is it that I need in my life? Like, so how many people are in my family? How many gallons of water do we drink a day? How much food are we eating? You know, and then you begin building um, your your reserves around that. So find out what are your needs? You know, that, that would be the first question to that, mm -hmm. that answer. And, and where would you need to go? If you yeah. live in the city, like for us, we'll be okay here. Yeah. Um, if you live in the city, yeah, you got to kind of figure out what you would need to take with you where. Right. Yeah. I mean, so That's... many people. I, I was. I was. I mean, I'm technically in the city, and I was without power for six days, and then without water for about ten days. Were you prepped? I was. You were prepped. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, my neighbors were coming over. They were watching me do the craziest things. Like I was like, I had put tarps all along the edge of my house so that as that snow melted off. It was just falling onto the tarps and I was just collecting that water. Um, the big ice cubes that were, you know, slowly, you know, as the heat, you know, kind of came back, the sun came out, they were like falling. I was like, I'm not letting a single one. I mean, the, people were like plowing their driveway. And as soon as they'd get a big mound of snow, I would go over there with my 55 gallon, you know, bucket and just like scoop all that up and walk back to my house. And like, they were like, what is this dude doing? You know, like what is, he's got to be up to something. So my neighbors started asking me all these questions and like, I was like, I yeah. Can my toilet. <laughs> yeah, I'm doing this and this and I'm cooking with it and I'm 
I'm, you know, we're, I was very fortunate that we had gas and the gas never went off. Um, but even if it would, I've got this, you know, skills. We have all this wood in, in the backyard. I mean, I was happy. It was vacation for me, Betsy. I'm not going to lie. This, this whole snowpocalypse thing that everybody went through, I was like, I'm on vacation. And I don't mean to say that to sound like pretentious, but it really was fun because once again, when you do something for a living, that's teaching people to be self-reliant and then you get to do it it feels good yeah you know? well that's what i i was saying too we thrived during the snowpocalypse because we were prepared and yeah. we have water we have um gas to cook um we have we were warm we have a, a wood stove yeah so there we were playing and it felt good for like 10 seconds and that's what i was like the, <laughs> the smug pepper because then as soon as i started getting word that so many people were suffering so right. badly. It was like, okay, now I understand why um, people, why preppers want everyone to prep. Yeah. And I never understood that. I'm like, why did they care so much? Well, like everybody needs to be prepared. Everybody yeah. needs to have three months worth of food. Everybody needs to know, you know, and it's like, why do you care so much? Well, because then you can sit back and enjoy it instead right. of being like, well, now I've got to try to look after everybody else or fight them off sure. or, you know, so. I agree. Yeah, because I mean, the, the fact of the matter was that people you know, without electricity who potentially needed, you know, dialysis or whatever oh, it was. So many like, people were suffering. Yeah. So and so I felt horrible. But at the same time, we were getting phone calls, you know, after it was all over from parents who go to Natureversity going like, dude, our kids taught us so many things about how to maintain, you know, composure and it's okay. Like, hey, we just got, what's, what's the problem? All right. Let's, what's the simplest solution, mom and dad? Like, and and they were just like, I couldn't believe it. That was the moment that they told me, they were like, we knew this is the best investment we've ever made for our child was sending them to your school because they knew how to, you know, melt the snow down. And you don't eat the snow, mom, because that can, that takes more of your energy because your body is having to heat that snow up to melt it, to turn it into a liquid. And the replenishment cycle isn't proper. So we need to melt the snow down, purify it, and then we can drink it. And like, they were like, oh, I didn't know that, you know? Well, so tell us is if you're in the Austin area, kids can take what you call Natureversity. So tell us about that. And then tell us about this online thing that anyone in the world can. Sure. So Natureversity, if you're in the central Texas area or Austin, South Austin, area to be particular um it is natureversity outdoor school is the name of our school and you can go to natureversity.org um, we do homeschool programs and that's wednesday thursday or friday from nine to three um, we have ages five to twelve and we just opened up a teen program so if you're wanting to send your teenagers and uh, teach them leadership and and outdoor um, <clears throat> survival skills that are really hardcore like making bows and arrows and you know, learning to process animals and fish and all that, you'd be real surprised how many kids don't know how to clean animals for themselves. They literally think chickens come from the market and that's the only place. So we want to do animal husbandry and butchering and things like that for the teens. Um, we basically are, um, you know, using local parks, but right now the local parks aren't allowing us to go in there. So we've got a private six acres that we use and um, we're able to build fires and carve with knives, use saws, hatchets. I mean, we're just trying to get kids outside and off screens. Remember earlier when I said kids can identify more corporate logos than plants in their backyard? I want to switch that. Mm -hmm. That's my goal is to restore eco-literacy amongst our youth. And so when you sign up, um, you, we would do summer camps too. So if you want to get involved like right away, starting this June, 
We are launching summer camps that are uh, 9 a.m. to 3.30 p.m. Monday through Friday. We do all the exact same stuff. Hang out by the river, um, catch turtles, frogs, look at animal tracks. It's basically just like I said, getting kids outside each and every day. So natureversity.org, you can check us out there. And so when COVID hit, they shut us down. Um, the city did. They said, you know, you're not allowed to come inside here. We didn't have any private property to use. So I still had a hundred plus kids in my school and we needed something. So we began doing online content and on the online content creation was always this weird fantasy that I had where it was like karate mixed with Boy Scouts, you know, mixed with really hardcore survival skills. So when you go, and it's called the Bushcraft Adventure Club. So when you go on bushcraftadventureclub.com, you're going to start off. It's a little portal. It's a video that you watch of me. Um, I basically tell you all about why we need these skills, why they're so much fun, how you can get involved. And when the moment you sign up, a box is delivered to your house. It's got a white bandana. It's got a little Bushcraft Adventure Club patch, which is, this is the, the patch, the logo of the, of the organization. And it's um, got your little pamphlet in there, and the pamphlet has every single one of your missions. And the missions start off very simple, such as finding a space in your area to practice these skills, um, getting familiar with a sit spot, making a backpack that has all your nature gear in it, uh, starting a nature journal, learning to carve with a knife, and just slowly the missions get a little bit harder. Okay, how old can the kids be? How young can they be? Seven years old is for the Bushcraft Adventure Club and for Natureversity's uh, in-person programming, it's five. So, but the Bushcraft Club, we want the kids to be using knives and seven years old is right where I feel they're okay. safe. And, and what, at two, about what age? Uh, 16. Okay. I mean, if you're 17 or older, they have, um, you know, you can, you know, what's funny is we have dads who are in the Bushcraft Adventure Club because they just want the patches because the patches are so neato. Like <laughs> the first one's like a white feather. The second one is like a yellow shell. And each thing has like a metaphor to it. Like a feather, when you let it go or it just falls down, it just drifts kind of idly, right? It has no direction. Like a shell has a little bit more autonomy to like move. Um, from there, it's an ant. Now you're kind of starting to think communally and like how I can, it, every patch and every part of the Bushcraft Adventure Club is not just oh, I just picked these animals. Like every part of it has a, a very in-depth purpose for why it is the way it is. Do you have to have, it, if you sign up for Bushcraft Adventure, Adventure Club, Club, do you have to have, um, do you have to have anything besides a knife? Do you... Everything I give you is slowly you build it, right? So the first part, you know, is find your spot, find your, you know, um, area to practice your skills in. I send you out on a few missions to where like, I want you to go to a brand new park or a brand new place that you've never been. And then you kind of report back. Uh, we utilize Instagram the most because what we're looking for kids to do is to go out there and take photos and have mm -hmm. their parents take photos of them doing their projects. And it really just gets all these other kids inspired like, whoa, like look at that kid's mm. fort. Like I built mine like this. And so they'll go back out to their old fort and, you know, add on all these cool new things. Cause we just love sh seeing what the kids are creating and sharing with each other. But yeah, as you progress, we give you more tools to purchase. Um, not necessarily from us, but just, you know, hey, we're gonna learn about saws next week. So next week when you uh, check in with the video, make sure you've got some kind of collapsible folding saw for yourself. We do give you little outlets on the cheapest ones or, you know, the best ones. And we talk about all that in the video. But yeah, it's, it's taken off and it's a lot of fun. The kids are reporting back how much, you know, 
they're enjoying it and the parents oh there's a whole portion of the bushcraft adventure club that's designed for parents so if you're a parent who lives in the city and you're like i've never carved with a knife i i feel a little hesitant to give a child a knife um, because i don't even know how to use one we have this whole parent portal where we teach you how to use them and then you take those skills and give them to your kid in addition to what the content we give yeah to i don't remember how old my kids were probably about seven when they came home with their certificate that they were proficient with a knife yes and, i mean talk yeah. about feeling big right know, and, and right. they can you you know that so i know when you do your in-person classes that there is a spiritual aspect to it because you will have the kids he calls it a, a sit spot yeah and they go get to find their spot in the woods that feels like theirs and, he, and I don't know all the things they do there and there's the spiritual aspect to the uh, being blindfolded for four hours or mm -hmm. whatever you gave them all these tasks to yeah. do that were centering in a spiritual way how do you do you and how do you transfer that over to your online classes it's basically by telling stories you know, I tell the kids stories of moments where I felt alone in the woods and how when I began learning the names of the trees and how they benefit me and, you know, they, you, I, I get to utilize their, you know, branches and their logs uh, for my own shelter. Like now that tree is not just a tree to me any longer. It's like a best friend, you know, so that's really what we're trying to do and, and that I think that's how we've always been as animals and humans on this planet is we tell, you know, I mean, you go to church and you go to these places and what do they do? They tell stories, you know, so you vicariously understand the message and the meaning through the story. So we haven't had a single kid um, not have that sense of place and connection and what is meaningful. Um, yet that we've been reported to like i haven't had a single parent or any kid reach out to us and say like yeah this aspect's really lacking or anything okay. they they love the story that you know in fact some of the parents have told me like my kid has watched your videos dozens of times we're mean the same video they will just be like can i watch it again can i watch Aww. it again can i watch it again and I, I think it's just because they like hearing the goofy stories of like other kids and how they messed up and then me as a personal uh child when i when mr chris was young and the dumb things that i did with the nature um storytelling so important as far as us and our community building and people always tell me oh i'm so bad at telling stories i'm like I, no you're not go a day in your life and, and think back in that one day and think about where you didn't tell a story to somebody every day you got home from work hey you'll never believe what happened at work but that's storytelling right so don't tell me you're bad at it just keep going with it you will eventually develop a sense of storytelling that is magical to anybody who's willing to listen i feel so uh, just in regards to the the spiritual aspect of it i wouldn't say that it has any type of like dogmatic or you know religious connotations no. to it mm. i think what it really just has is how to connect deeper with yourself with the land, um, with your your community, right, and um, with with you know your your I don't know your sense of grandfather would call it the the spirit that dwells in all things. The spirit that dwells within all things. Right, I love <clears throat> that. I think that's beautiful because I think that's true. I mean, even if it's a rock or well, water, you or can't what? get out in nature without having a spiritual connection to it. I agree. And that's part of yeah. where we've lost our spirituality. You know, I think that just. You don't even really, have, you don't have to teach anything. It just yeah. happens. You go sit by a lake. Yeah, John Muir quiet. said that beautifully. What right? did he say? Uh, Walden was that pond, right? Where he sat at, for mm -hmm. I think a year. And he just wrote that whole book 
And I mean, when you read that book, everything about it is like just so in depth and so like, oh, I mean, it just brings tears to your eyes in some moments where he talks about how beautiful it is and, you know, watching things grow up out there like birds. And I mean, I've had those same experiences within my sit spot or just traveling to new places and seeing things that I've never seen. Like I woke up one morning early in Big Bend and um, I was just sitting out near the Rio Grande and uh, I heard this like crash, crash, you know, into the water. Like, what the heck was that? And all of a sudden, like, I, I, I couldn't quite tell, but I, it was big. You know, and I thought like, oh, it might be, it might, maybe it's people, I don't know. But they weren't talking. It was just these loud sounds. And it was three horses. And they were coming over from Mexico. And one was a dad and a mom and then a little colt. And, and the baby was following mom around. And dad was trying to be like, look, you're, you're old enough now. Like, you need to go venture and do your own thing. But it just kept coming back to mom. And so watching dad be like, no. And it would like nip it, you know, like in the butt. Like, but kept, no. And, you know, the baby was like, okay, okay, okay. And then it would eventually come back up. But just that beauty of we do that we rear our children and so you get to see how horses rear their children or mice or anything there is definitely this philosophical and meaningful connection that i think we all begin to understand um it deep within us and so yeah just like you said you can't go out there without having that connection and feeling that so well it it's been even more fun than I thought it was going to be to have you here and to talk to you about all these things. In fact, I'm really inspired by this. So I know that I'm going to get a lot of feedback where people are wanting to get out and go camping. And so I'm really happy that you're sharing this information. Um, I will put your websites and so people can contact you. Is there anything that you would leave us with that we didn't cover or that you'd want to share if there was one thing you could tell the world what would it be um don't don't pretend you're not an animal you know don't 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 act like you're above it there's so many people who like to think about you know the apex like we're up here and nature's down here like it it should be like this it should be a circle like we're in it right there's there's whales and trees and bugs and birds and all those things and we're we're a part of that and we're not above it all um, if you think you are, well, I challenge you to go live in the woods for a little while and we'll see, you know, so many people want to say things like, um, oh, you know, that goldfish is dumb. I'm like, well, let me throw you in a murky pond and see how long you survive, you know, cause it can survive there just fine, but I don't think you could. So I don't want us to walk away with this sense of we are better than the natural world. You know, when you come back to humility, I think the lessons are, are much grander in the big scheme of things because you realize once again, like I'm an animal and I have these instincts and just let those instincts take over from time to time. You know, if, it, if something is calling to you to take your shoes off and go walk through some disgusting mud and get into the primordial ooze of mother earth then do it, you know, don't think, oh, well, I'm going to get in my truck and, you know, my clean truck and my clean car. Or, oh, my clean carpet. Like, just do it. You know, who cares about all that stuff? Because at the end of the day, at the end of your life, you're going to remember once again that day of getting into, you know, Mother Earth's flesh. And you're not going to remember, like, your dumb truck and how clean it was. So right. let your animal instinct take over, I would say. And start small and just go from there. Go into your backyard. Go into your local park, go to a state park, go to a national park. Just keep expanding like we've always done 
on this planet Earth. Yeah. So. Well, thank you for listening and for being a part of this freedom movement. Mm -hmm. Please follow us anywhere you can because we're trying to build a, a freedom community that's that where where we all get ideas and share them and uh, help each other to become more free. So Freedom Junkie Radio is on Telegram. Find Freedom Junkie Radio on Telegram and follow. There's a chat where you can also talk. There is uh, for now. It's on Facebook and Instagram. I am even on Twitter, but I don't even do any. I, I hardly ever I don't use do it. Either. Yeah, I have it, um, but I don't do it. And then the videos are are for now on YouTube. I had one taken down. My very first one was taken down, so I feel like that's a little feather in my cap. I'm doing something right. Um, BitChute and Rumble are where oh, yeah. you can find the videos, that, and I don't think that they censor anything. Alt tech all the way. Alt tech, Alt right? Tech. Creating. I should new... just call it tech at this point, right? Because yeah, that other stuff. So thanks, and if you have questions, just drop them in the comments. I can get them to Chris. We can get your questions answered, and if you have a lot of questions, we'll just get him back on. Yeah. So uh, thanks, and see you next time. Bye. was too broad but I loved how you answered it I love how you you know you were like well you can't do it overnight you got to go get out in nature now yeah that's your answer if the shit hits the fan well uh it's a little too late you better have because I'm like what do you need a water bottle and a flashlight and a and a knife and you're like no you need some skills yeah <laughs> it's true it's true I mean you can have all those things it's, yeah. but it's just like anything else in the world if you don't you know, know how to use it, what good is it to you? I saw a great uh, picture one time and it was all these ladders like stacked like on top of each other and the guy was like using them to climb up something and somebody like grabbed one and turned it the way it should be used and then like walked up and the guy was like, oh, you know? And it's like, if even you have all the things in the world, if you don't know how to use them effectively and properly, your situation isn't gonna get any better. And that's the idea too, is to not only make your situation better, but communally like help other people out there. So if you've got all these mad, you know, survival skills, it's a disservice to not be sharing them with the community. You know, if you've got all this wisdom around medicine, it's a disservice not to be sharing it with the community. Like, that's what I feel.